you got your Bibles, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to dig deeper into the idea of mentoring tonight. And we're going to look in verses 15 down to verse 17. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. If you're, if you're trying to figure out where it's at in the Bible, we've always told our kids, go eat popcorn. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the youth minister of the previous church we were at, he used to tell our kids that as well. It's an easy way to remember those letters of Paul in the New Testament. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Ephesians chapter 5. Chapter 5 is after chapter 4 and before chapter 6. Verse 15. Yeah, why am I so corny? It says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be, not un, be, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Paul, he's writing to the church at Ephesus to where Timothy is the pastor. According to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes to Timothy and says, I left you in Ephesus for this purpose. And then he writes two letters to him to help him understand how he should, as a pastor, lead that group of people, that, that shepherd that flock of people there in Ephesus. And so here Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus to whom Timothy is the pastor in this church is a church that loves Paul very much. If you were to do any kind of study on the relationship of Paul and the church at Ephesus, you would go back to Acts chapter 20 and you would see right before Paul goes to Rome and Paul has already been prophesied over his life that his life would be ended in Rome and he would ultimately give up his head for the sake of the gospel and he would, his life would be surrendered to the Lord in Rome a few years later after that. He's already had this message delivered to him while he's at Ephesus and the Ephesian Christians love Paul so much that when it's time for Paul to go, they fall on his neck and they kiss him and they love him and they tell him how much they're going to miss him because this is the last time they're going to see Paul. Paul went to Ephesus. He preached the gospel. It was a very pagan culture, very devoid of God. And when he preached the gospel, it pricked the hearts of those who heard it and they repented of their sins and they played their faith in Jesus Christ and they were born again and a church was birthed there. Paul had a lot of investment there in Ephesus. And so there was a love there for Paul. There was a love there for Jesus. But just like time does for most of us, time began to become more important over time than their affection for the ones who had had so much of an investment on their life. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus is dictating a letter through John. John is exiled to the Isle of Patmos because he's a Christian. And, and there he receives this vision of, uh, of the end of times, things that were to come. And Jesus is telling John what to write. And, and, and ultimately, when you read the book of Revelation, all 22 chapters, you have to start off in chapter 1 and see that it is a picture of Jesus, who Jesus is in his resurrected glory. And then in chapter 2 through chapter three, Jesus is telling John to write this book of prophecy to seven churches that are in minor Asia. And the first church that he addresses is the church at Ephesus. 
And with most of the churches that John is writing to by instruction of Jesus, there are things that the church is doing wrong and there is the threat if they don't get it right that Jesus says, I'm going to come and remove the candlestick, the testimony, the very lifeblood of the church from you. Therefore, you might still be a gathering, but you won't be a church or have any effectual power because the light will be gone. And what was the reproof that Jesus told John to write? right to Ephesus about is because they left their first love. I tell you, if, if there's anything that should be stirring in our hearts every single moment of every single day would be this. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you and why you should love him with every second of your existence. Ephesus over time forgot the power of the sacrifice of Jesus. Therefore, they left some things that they were doing and got preoccupied with things that didn't matter. And it was a reflection on a loss of affection for Jesus. This is the same church that Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to this church and in the midst of all of their affection and all of their love for Jesus and all of their passion for Jesus and he still has to say things like what he says in verses 15, 16, and 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Wherefore be not ye unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I want you to be very much aware of the time you live in and what the plan of God God is for you in the time that you live in. As Paul was a mentor to Timothy, the pastor of this church, in a group sense, he is through this letter mentoring this church. He's helping them understand. He says, see then, see then that you do what's right consistently and on purpose. I was telling somebody the other day that, that I've, I've, I've done enough wrong in my past by accident. <laughs> I didn't need to continue to do what was wrong in my present on purpose. To, to be able to have the mindset that, that I know exactly where I am in my life. I know what God has purposed and planned for my future to the extent of what we can know about the future because I am so much aware of where God has brought me from. It makes sense to me where I am now and it gives me hope to where I can be because I have seen what God has done with me because this is who I once was. And so whenever Paul is writing, we know this, is the Holy Spirit's inspiration through Paul to this church. He's saying, hey guys, I know who you were before I came and preached the gospel. I know what happened when you received the good news of Jesus Christ. I've seen where you have gone from where you once were living the way you wanted to live in this life. And if you don't get a full picture of that, if you want to write down a couple of notes, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 will give you a pretty good idea of what Paul's talking about, of who they were. You were dead and trespasses in sin. You are children of wrath and children of disobedience. You were driven by the desires of your flesh. But God has mercy and grace that he's given you. And so Paul says, I know what you were. I see who you are and I, 
understand what you can be, but you've, you've got to see then, see then that you, with the grace that God has given you and the gift of time that he's given you in the present moment in which you live, you be a good steward of that. You do the right thing on purpose consistently. He says next, and, and again, I use the King James. Some of you guys may be using a different translation, and, and, and that's cool because that, that word circumspectly might not be in the translation you use. But whenever Paul says, see then you walk circumspectly, he said, see that you live in a certain manner. And so what is that certain manner? The Amplified would say it this way. See that you live carefully, living life with honor, purpose, and courage. See that you walk in a way that is filled with life centered in Christ, with courage, not fear, and with purpose, not with chaos or not understanding why you exist, when you exist, where you exist. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as, not as fools, but as wise, foolish, as, as though God did not exist or that God is unconcerned or that God does not know exactly what's going on in your life, but instead wise. And so how does he say that you're supposed to live a life with wisdom? Verse 16 and verse 17 give the answer of why we walk or live our lives with purpose and meaning and life as those with wisdom. And this is how we redeem the time. Because the days are evil. How bad is the world right now? Man, the world is bad. How long has the world been bad? A long time, right? A super long time. As a matter of fact, go all the way to the, the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and, and go to chapter 6, and you'll see that God flooded the world. Why? Because the evil imagination of man was continual. The world was a bad place then. Right? Ever since Genesis chapter 3, when sin came into the world, people ask me this all the time. They say, Andy, how come bad things happen to good people? And I have the pleasure of telling them, you've, you've got a great question. There's just some words that are out of order. This is really how you should ask the question. How come good things happen to bad people? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that we're all sinful and wicked in and of ourselves. We need Jesus to make us holy and right, useful and good. And so the world has always been, been a terrible place. And so because of sin, and, and, and so Paul is writing to the church in their present moment, in their time, and he's reminding them, hey guys, I want you to live life with wisdom. I want you to live life full of vigor and meaning and purpose and passion because of what Jesus has done and what he saved you from and how he's called you in this moment to live in this manner. So the thing that you need to do, and this is why you can live, this is how you can live a wise life to redeem the time. How do you redeem the time? You take advantage of every moment you have. You take advantage of every opportunity you get. Now, some of you guys I know right now, immediately in your mind, you're thinking, I ain't really got time for that, right? I, I, need, I need to rest ever so often, Andy. Sometimes redeeming the time for the busy person is a break, is a rest is a renewal. Sometimes 
it's seizing the moment of that conversation with that individual that you might not ever have again to share the gospel with that person or to encourage that Christian to who you know is, is depressed or down or facing temptation or some trial in their life. Maybe for you, it's when God moved over your heart and he gave you a vision of some ministry that you're to be a part of or that you're to start, that you're to do. And, and so that's for you to take a step of faith and, and say, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm willing to do whatever you've called me to do because I know that if you're there, that I'll be taken care of. It's just that, that step of faith that you need to take to redeem the time. Maybe it's that you continue to raise your children in your home under the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Maybe it's to be an influence to others as someone who is leading others in the right manner, as a disciple maker or as a, as a mentor. You redeem the time by giving your time and yourself to Jesus. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. This is actually a psalm of Moses, and he learned this lesson not, not because he was a smart guy or anything. It was actually a lesson that he learned from his father-in-law, Jethro, whom to Moses is, is judging Israel, and the affairs of Israel is coming before him all the time from sunup to sundown, and he is absolutely wearing himself thin. And Jethro comes to visit and his son-in-law and obviously his daughter and his grandsons. And he sees Moses is stretched from can to can and he says to Moses, you can't keep this up. You've got to take and set judges over Israel, some over 50 and some over 100 and let the, the big matters come to you. And, and Moses, what you need to be is you need to be a leader to leaders. you got a heart to serve all but be a leader to leaders in this moment. And that's where was this song or this Psalm was birthed out of, Lord, teach me to number my days that I might apply my heart, my life unto wisdom. Show me how to take advantage of every moment of my life to use it for your glory. How do we live circumspectly? How do we live with purpose? Understand this, that you were not created to do everything, but you were definitely created to do something. Right? And so you've got you've to see that purpose. And so he says to redeem the time because the days are evil. But then he says in verse 17, something very similar to the last part of verse 15. Where, uh, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so sometimes for us that, that means we need help, right? Understanding what the will, or if I could interchange a word here the plan of God is for us. So the direction of God would be for us in a moment, in a day, in our life. And so sometimes we need, we need the help of somebody else. And, and so the purpose of God is to help the Ephesian church go in the direction he has planned for him. And Paul is a group mentor for them in that moment. And so, so, so do we need the, need the mentor in our life to help us understand what that specific direction, plan, or will of God is for our life. And so maybe you come on, you're coming off of Sunday's message and you're still thinking, uh, I don't know how to appropriately answer the first two questions, Andy, that you gave for Sunday. Why mentoring? Why do I need a mentor? Well, mentors are here to help. Mentors helps us in so many different ways. And I've just got a few ways listed tonight of how mentors can help us. Mentors help us avoid bad decisions by 
answer by us answering uh, with, with with good questions or asking good questions. You see, mentors help the mentee to ask themselves the questions other people avoid. This means that, that between a mentor and a mentee in their relationship, their bond is so close because of truth-telling and transparency and this openness and this bond that has been created through conversations and relationships over a period of time. There can be some pointed questions asked from the mentor to the mentee that other people may not ever ask them. This, this is what I mean. How many, guys, how many of you guys ever come to church and you felt community, you felt fellowship, you were excited about being here, and you got in that four-year, and you shook somebody's hand, or you hugged somebody's neck, and you said, how are you doing? And what answer did you get? Huh? I'm fine. I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. And so the conversation that you experienced with that person was very superficial, was very, very topical, right? It, it didn't go very deep, but maybe in that moment you, cre you crave something much deeper than I'm okay, how are you, I'm okay. Maybe you had a burden on your heart that was very heavy, but because you felt like you were at church, you couldn't really say, blah, here it is, right? Now, I know nobody at Embrace does this, but believe it or not, there are Christians who gather up with other Christians, and instead of being uh, transparent and truth-telling and, and forthright, they're, they're very, they're very, let me put on my church face. Let me be one thing here, but man, I'm hurting over here. Let me not tell everybody or tell certain ones what's going on in my life, right? And so there's a smoke screen there. There's a mask put on. I'm hurting. Shake your hand. How you doing? I'm fine. I just lied. Right? So sometimes we want something a little bit deeper than that. In fellowship, you have the partnership over ministry. And it's very hard to have that in-depth closeness, transparency. But inside of discipleship, yes. But even more specifically inside of mentoring, yes. You can have those moments to where there is a revealing of sin that has been lurking in the background. Not that we have to confess necessarily to men as man as a priest that would forgive our sin, but so that there might be healing. Confess your faults one to another so that it might be healed, right? So there can be healing and there can be accountability and there can be realness in that relationship and there can be that bonding to the point to where now, because time has been spent and investment has been made, there can be a pointed question asked that nobody else is asking. Anybody got a friend like that? Anybody got a mentor like that? This is what Paul said to the churches of Galatia in Galatia chapter, Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. Drum roll, please. There it is. It said, ye did run well. Paul's, Paul's getting close to him. He's, he's bringing truth home. He's fixing to ask a question nobody else is asking. Who did hinder you that you not obey the truth? What, what a question 
this is. And if you have any kind of background about what the, the book of Galatians is about, that Paul is writing to an area of churches, not just one church, not just one local gathering of believers, but a group of gatherings of believers. And when he writes this, obviously in that area, there have been some issues of some false teaching. People called Judaizers were going there and saying, hey guys, you need Jesus plus circumcision. That's the only thing that can equal salvation. And we, we all know by the teaching of the New Testament letters. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves. It's not of your works, not of my works, not of anybody's works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. And so there was this group of people who came in and they were preaching, oh, no, 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 y'all gotta do this part of the law and that part of the law and that part of the law plus trust in Jesus to be saved. And so there was error through the teaching that led them astray. But ultimately, whose fault was it? Them Judaizers? This is, this is oftentimes what a mentor has the opportunity to do through asking good questions, remove excuses to get to the real need. How many of you guys ever have any excuses? <laughs> I do, I do. You come to me, man, I am my, I am my own personal best defendant. If, I defend myself pretty well. I, I, I've, if you come to me and, and I've, I can give you all the excuses, I, I can make them sound good, I can package them right, I, I can pull the tears if I need to because I, I know what kind of person I am. I need a mentor in my life that is able to remove the excuses. It's not the Judaizers. It's not your desire to fulfill some standard for yourself, not having to depend on someone else to do for you what you can do for yourself anyway. You, you need to trust in Jesus alone. Who was it that really hindered you that you not obey the truth? It wasn't them. It wasn't that. It wasn't because of this. It wasn't because of that. It was because of me. You see, that's what a mentor does is a mentor helps a person avoid bad decisions by asking good questions, right? Pouring into that individual, removing those things so that the thought process of the mentee might get lined up where God wants that person to go. Get off of the train of self-pity or self-direction and be surrendered completely into the way the Lord would have you to go. So a, a mentor helps us avoid bad decisions by asking good questions. A mentor our the balance of good counsel and God's word. You see, mentors don't fix problems. They lead the mind into healthy conclusions. I'm going to tell you guys, if, you, if you've known me for any period of time, you know that I am a problem solver. I am a person fixer. If you, if you need to be fixed, come. I'll counsel you. We'll get you fixed in seven easy sessions. Right? I mean, I'm just that guy, and I, I love to solve problems. I love that. And, and this is the way I guys it. I love to help people. I want to help people. I want to be able to fix their problems. And, and I realized not too terribly long ago, two or three years ago, the Holy Spirit brought to my attention that, Andy, what you're doing in an effort to fix somebody else is you're taking the place of Jesus, and you're, you're being their Jesus, and every time they're broken or they got a problem, they're going to come to you to fix it, and you can't fix it like I can fix it. 
it. So you've got to move out of the way so I can fix it. So a lot of times we, we find ourselves to be people fixers. And God didn't call us to be people fixers. But what we're to do with counseling God's word is to provide an opportunity for the mentee as a mentor for a person's mind to be renewed, repaired, right? We're, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. There in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I cannot tell you how many different Bible verses I could have brought up as a supporting verse for this point. There are so many different, I'm not talking about tens or hundreds. It may have even been, been more than that of, of Bible verses that speak about the mind and how the mind in itself can be corrupt, how God can turn our minds over if we're not sensitive to him and repentant of sin and trusting in him. But this one in the context of Paul's group mentoring to the church at Ephesus and really through Timothy mentoring him and the combination of the two to say this statement and be renewed, to be renovated. That's, that's what the word literally means. It, means. it means to be renovated or reformed in the spirit of your mind, in the life. That word spirit is lowercase s, it's not capital S. Capital S refers to the person of the Holy Spirit who is a part of the triune Godhead, God of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. This is lowercase s. And the pneumos is the original word. Pneumos is the word, the root word of where we get our word pneumonia. It means that, that there is an attack to the breath of our life, right? Pneumos means, it means breath. It, it means life. It, and, and, and so to be renewed in the life of your mind, of your mind, more than, more than a thought, but in a way of thinking. To be renewed, to be restored, to be renovated. In the life of our thought processing. How do you experience life? How do you experience life? Well, there, there's two main ways in which we experience life. Some of us are fillers and some of us are thinkers, right? Now, that doesn't mean that the, the thinkers don't feel and the fillers don't think, but if we were to, to, to balance things out, most of us are overbalanced in one way or the other. We're fillers. We fill the situation. Most of the women in this room are probably fillers. It's the way God made you, and that's completely okay. I was having a conversation with some ladies the other day about how more in-depth they can see color and how more in-depth they can smell scents and how more in-depth keenly their, their hearing is, more so than man or taste in their senses. It's just much more in-depth than, than us men, right? How many of you would agree with that? Yeah, all of you women are agreeing with that. Us men are like, no, no. Yeah, it's true. And so a lot of times women are able to experience in, in, in a relationship or in a setting, they can feel something that us men can't feel. Most of the time women are feelers. And, and not to say most of the time men are thinkers, but for the most part men are, are thinkers. We have to think through something. We, we need time to think. It never, never fails. I'll come home and, and Laurie will ask me about my day and I'm still processing my day. And I don't give her details. I give her blocks of what happened. How was your day? It was good. 
Tell me something about it. It was good. Yeah, I only got so many words and I'm brain dead at this point. It was good. It takes me a few days to, to figure out how to express in detail my day to her. And, and it's because I'm a thinker. I have to process more so than a feel. How was your day? Well, this is how I felt and this is what it was like. And, and, and all these details through, through the feeling of an experience, right? It's not to, not to isolate one or the other, but we experience life in one of those two, two ways. You process life through feeling or through thought. Now, with feeling, absolutely, there needs to be time in which we're renewed so that we can refocus on loving God with everything we are and loving our neighbor as ourself. And sometimes we check out of the thought process that my mind needs to be renovated. My mind needs to be restored. My mind needs to be reformed so that my mind can be Renewed the passion, the purpose, the life of my thought process. How I many of you guys ever heard that the thought is the mother of the... Huh? The thought is the mother of the action. Anybody ever heard that before? Boom, coined it. I'm the one that made that up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really didn't. So it happens here most of the time before it happens here, right? Happens in our mind before it happens in our life. What happens if my mind is so distraught and so tired and so, so beat up by the world, then obviously my actions are not going to follow a healthy pattern because my mind is not in a healthy pattern. My mind needs to be in a healthy pattern so that my actions can be in a healthy pattern. So how can we keep our minds renewed? Your mind is as a muscle that needs to be exercised and needs to rest. It needs to be challenged. It needs nutrients for it just as well as your muscles need nutrients for you to be able to exercise and, and go about your life as you should be in, in physical health. And so, so there has to be a time for repairing of the mind. A mentor is a person that can step into your life and say, you know, your thought processes are not really benefiting in a healthy manner your life. It's not that, that your, your love is not there. It's not that your affection is not there. It's not that your feelings are not where they should be. Your sincerity is not where it needs to be. But it's just your mind, and your mind is, is causing you to act out in this manner. So your mind needs to be repaired, and the only way that your mind can be repaired is through the Word of God and prayer. And so mentors help us avoid bad decisions by answering good questions a mentor helps us repair our minds by the balance of counsel and the word. And also a mentor helps us develop character shaped by conviction. Character is the, the learning of conviction and living by conviction, right? Character is something that God forms in us as God's word gets inside of us and begins to shape our conviction. There, there's two thoughts of conviction in the Bible. There is the conviction over sin unto salvation over sin when it's inside of us and the Holy Spirit is saying that don't belong on you. You're dirty and you need to get that off and the only way you can get that off is to confess it to Jesus and he can forgive you and cleanse you and that is a conviction. I am I'm brought under the weight of my own sin that has been and unconfessed conviction. But then there's another form of conviction that the Bible talks about or mentions or alludes to, and that is 
when the word of God is stored up inside of me and it makes concreteness inside of me in certain areas of my life to where I am unyielding in. In other words, you know that in this area of your life, you will not yield to the temptation of the enemy. In this this is your conviction. This is your belief. This is the place that you're going to plant your feet, dig your heels in, and the enemy can bring what the enemy wants to bring, but you're not going to budge because you are convicted here. See, a mentor helps develop character that is shaped by conviction. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. Here, the writer of Hebrews is writing, and he says that, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart and in their minds will I write them. This is God's way of saying this is how I am forming inside of you conviction that is going to build this character that is going to help you live the Christian existence. My word will be in your hearts and on your minds It's so important that a mentor who has a mentee helps them see the flaws of their character and the lapse of their convictions. To see when their character is not up to par. Well, you said that you wanted to be honest in this area, but you're really living in a dishonest manner. You you said you didn't want to take advantage of that relationship, but the conversations you've been having and the direction of this relationship, you're really manipulating that individual to get from that individual what you want from that individual. Therefore, your character is not good, which means there's been a conviction somewhere that has lapsed. Somebody that's going to be help, that's going to help pour into you these thought processes. You see, the, the only way a person can truly have a concreted existence of, of conviction is that mentor developing for them and in them, pointing out to them a character that, that is worthwhile. Then the last thing is this, provide clarity on the next steps of life. That's what a mentor does. Helps provide clarity on the next steps of life. Paul, that's the way he starts off this verse 15 in our main text. He says, see then. See, look ahead here. I want you to see, and if you, if you would go back home tonight and if you'd read verses 1 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 5, you'll see that he starts off and he says, I really want you to live life as, as the light of Christ. Jesus loved you as a sacrifice for you. God is pleased in the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. He is the light of the world and he's told you to be lights. Go out and live a, a, a life filled with Christ. And the way, one of the ways in which you do that is you avoid this kind of sin Matter of fact, says in some of those verses, let not even this be named once among you, this, this sin. He says, you, you walk in this existence. And then he gets to verse 15. He says, see then, see, see what this, how this can benefit you. See the, see the clarity of this moment of, of holiness that God has prepared for you provides clarity on what's next. When When you passionately seek Jesus, when you live in the light that he provides for you, the understanding of why he saved you and uh, what he saved you for, when you walk in the light of what he's revealing to you about you and about himself, when you're you're leaving this sin behind that had so enraptured you once in life, then you're able to see then, see then that, that God's created you on purpose 
for this time and for this purpose provides clarity on the next steps of life. A mentor will help a mentee see ahead, not just in in the moment. And this is an example that we get from Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus is... Is, is speaking, of course, right in the midst of a miracle that has taken place. And he says, of those who are bringing to him accusations of why he did what he did in the midst of his miracle. And he says, I can of my own self do nothing. Now, now I want you to understand, that if, if this was in your Bible, and if you've got a red-letter Bible, this is the words of Jesus. Jesus, God in flesh, is saying this, I can of mine own self do nothing. Now, could could Jesus do anything? Absolutely, Jesus can do anything. Can Jesus walk on water? Yeah. Can he raise the dead? Yeah. Can Jesus heal the deaf, blind, the mute? Yeah. Can Jesus remove disease of leprosy in someone's body? Absolutely, Jesus can do all things. But how did Jesus do all these things? (laughs) How did Jesus do all these things? I can of mine own self do nothing. Then he says this. As I hear, I judge. Jesus says, as I hear. The word judge here can be interchanged with discern or make the right decision. This is, this is sometimes where we get kind of tripped up when we see the word judge in the Bible and we don't want to be judgmental. Understand, judgment or judge is different than being judgmental. Judgmental is making a decision off cuff without having the facts. But making a judgment or when you're judging, when you're making a decision based on the facts that are presented to you, Jesus of course, knows all things. He's God in flesh. Could do anything. He's God in flesh. Shows submissiveness to the will of the Father. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I, I judge. I understand that this is from the will of God. This is from the word of God. And my judgment is just. It's correct. It's right. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. It's perfect in seeing here providing clarity. On the next steps. Jesus being our ultimate guide, our ultimate example. When Peter said follow in his steps, he meant not just in one, but even where the toenails hit the sand. Follow every single print of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm giving you this example. There can, through a mentor to a mentee, be provided clarity on the next steps. And so clarity... The way we get clarity is we have a desire to see. We have a desire to see. A mentee provides the desire to see. A mentor helps the mentee have the opportunity to see. <laughs> and so the question is, do you, do you need a mentor in your life? If you don't say yeah by now, then I ain't got nothing else to preach to you, Right? I mean, that's the end of that. We all need a mentor to help us. Let me, let me help you understand. We're fixing to wrap this up. The world presents mentor in one aspect. Older. Mentors don't have to be older than us. Uh, 
A mentor does not have to be someone that is teaching you what to do in some business career or business aspect. A lot of times we think mentors is somebody who's ahead of us, who are older than us, who's more business savvy or wiser than us in business dealings or something like that. That's what the world would present to us, what a mentor is or what a mentor would do. The thought of being a mentor is actually rooted in the Bible, not in the boys club. And it is for Christians. Even Paul tells Titus this, that the younger, or excuse me, the older women are to teach the younger and the older men to touch, teach the younger men. And he's not even necessarily talking as much as age order, but in a, in a spiritual manner, in a spiritual maturity. That we are to help each other. The essence of the Christian life as we come together as God's people is for me to help you be the best you for God that you can be. And so do I need a mentor? Absolutely, I've got mentors. As a matter of fact, I was on the phone with my mentor about a month and a half ago asking him all kind of questions and he was pointing out all kind of things in my life and he was putting his hands all over my business. But at the conclusion of the phone call, I feel like I was made better for it. 